Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be No Popcorn. Welcome back to another No Popcorn, which is where we talk about movies that have a musical sting to them, some more so than others. I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Norma Howard. Hello. And I'm also joined by David Higgins. How are you? I'm not bad, man. We heard the strains there of Justice versus Simeon's We Are Your Friends to intro the episode about... We are your friends. It's an EDM drama film with Zac Efron, Emily Ratajkowski, and Wes Bentley. John Bernthal's in there as well. Star-studded, you might say, from 2015. And that's what we're going to be talking about later in the show. Um, a film, I think, that has probably had a dramatic effect on all of us, not least Norma Howard, who watched it two hours before we sat down to record. Is that correct? Yeah, all right, Dave. You're like ratting me out. <laughs> it's not a judgment thing. I only watched it two nights ago. Like, <laughs> I wanted it to be fresh, fresh in my mind. I'm yeah. sorry, I've been I was I've been working a lot for the last while on a film. I've been making the films. Yeah. Not fair watching enough. the films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Is there any doing... EDM in the film that you're working on? Uh, no. No? Okay. I'm sure I was like, is there any correlation between the two whatsoever? No. Like, I, I sure, I sure hope not. I'll try. <laughs> you can always try I'll suggest. And... I can suggest something in there. You could always try and work it into the soundtrack, whatever it is that you're working on. But uh, yeah, it's true. You've been very busy, but you have had time to see some things. So what have you been watching, Norma? Um, so I did take some time last weekend to go to the lovely Lighthouse Cinema and I went to see Zola, which was, um, I think it's a pretty new film. It hasn't been pushed back or anything like that. Um, it's based on... A number of tweets, which I didn't realize. I knew nothing about the film going in. I was just like, I kind of want to see something relaxing, fun, bit of crack for the weekend. Um, and I saw that it was getting like good reviews, but avoided the reviews in general. So it's based on um, a lady called Zola, who recounted over 148 tweets. Um, the story of just this crazy weekend that she went on. Um 
and it went viral, got picked up like lo- I'm not on Twitter, so I had actually never heard this story. But seemingly it did go very, very viral and a lot of people knew about it. Um, and then, yeah, A24 picked it up and made it into a film. And it was it's good crack, like as a as a story, it's really, really interesting. Um, the way it's presented is kind of like the film feels very Internet like it's like a lot of poppy colors, sound effects, stuff like that. I feel like it's the kind of thing where if you enjoyed um, there is a film called Ingrid Goes West with Aubrey Plaza. It's kind of a similar thing to that. It's a little bit more serious, um, but there's some very good performances in it. It's very good crack. I thought there'd be a better soundtrack. We'll be talking about like soundtracks or the lack thereof <laughs> later on, I assume. Um, yeah, it's just like because it's such a a really modern kind of Internet zeitgeisty film, I thought there'd be a little bit more. Um, yeah, like bite and edge to the soundtrack. But there's some interesting performances in there in there. Actually, Riley Kyo stars in it, who's someone who I find her really, really interesting as an actress. I don't think she's cast in a lot of like mainstream stuff. She's a bit of an indie darling. I think she was in Under the Silver Lake. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I saw her in. A couple of different things, but she's a really, really cool, interesting actress. Um, and yeah, it's kind of good crack of a weekend if you want to go see it. It's about 90 minutes. Solid. In and out. Um, and good fun. It doesn't take anything like too seriously. And then other than that, I finished off The Sopranos, <laughs> which Dave does not want to talk about. I didn't I, say I, I don't want to of... talk about it. I just think it's overrated. <laughs> it's a good show. People just have this Beatles level of, oh, you can't say anything bad about it. And it's yeah, not that I want to say I mean, anything bad about it. I just think I think there are a bit some better shows out there. That's all. Yeah, I would I would probably be on that wavelength a little bit as well. Like, I think it's excellent. It is weird to go back and watch it from the very beginning and just see the actual production quality improve over the series and just like how much more money they had and like to invest in characters, storylines, production design, even like I would imagine the rights to songs and things like that. Like there, there's some in season six, which is a like basically a double season. It's like 21 episodes. In the final season, even just like the soundtrack and the songs that they get to close out the episodes are of a higher level than they would have had previously. Um, so it's kind of interesting to go back and watch it. I don't know that I'm that pumped for, is it the many, the Saints of Newark? Yeah, I mean, the many Saints of Newark, the, the prequel. Saints of Newark. Yeah, which um, is coming out pretty soon, I think. September Yeah, October? I watched the trailer and I was a bit like, yeah, it seems cool. I don't think I'm... Even upon the rewatch of The Sopranos, I actually don't think I'm that interested to know what Tony's life was like before The Sopranos began. <laughs> I just, I don't know if it's actually as interesting a thing as some people think it might be and it might be milking it all a little bit. And I know it's getting quite a lot of hype because James Gandolfini's actual son is going to be playing him. Um, and I don't know if that's enough to be working with, but sure, we will see. Um, also, like topically, I don't know. I watched Sophie, a murder in West Cork, which is the Sophie Toscan de Plante uh, documentary on Netflix. I feel like th- this as a news story just kind of comes up every couple of years. Like there's no new development. There's nothing in the documentary that you don't already know 
or that you wouldn't already be aware of if you're aware of the case in general. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Watch if you want something. It's very weird hearing like West Cork accents on a Netflix like true crime series <laughs> it's just so strange because it's like the police but it's just these proper West Cork lads like in the pub drinking a pint just talking about how they like they lost a piece of evidence and stuff like that and you're like this is wild that this is up on Netflix um, so yeah if you're into that kind of thing it's interesting but it's not really going to give you anything new or like a new edge to it because ultimately there hasn't been a new development to it in many many years and I think it's the drama around Ian Bailey that has centred it as a case that's still relevant right now um, so yeah I guess if that floats your boat give it a look Do you think yeah, that I you're mean, going to go and watch the Jim Sheridan version now? Absolutely or are you just not like, yeah. <laughs> like, I thought about it and I was like even halfway through that series I think it was only like maybe four episodes or is it six I was just like there's a why is this happening? Did Netflix only commission it because the Jim Sheridan one came out? I'm assuming it's because uh, that podcast West Cork kind of brought it back into the into the public consciousness. And then also I would imagine that there's someone in uh, pretty much all the big streaming companies now who is just looking for cold cases and being like, can we make something about this? Because there's just this like insatiable appetite for true crime. Because like there's definitely and I've been like sucked into that thing myself of particularly Netflix. There's an ending amount of that kind of content on Netflix for true crime stuff. So, I mean, yeah, check it out. There's many more where it came from. I've never actually I don't think I'd ever listened to the podcast West Cork. Maybe that was a better route to go down. Possibly. (laughs) yeah i was gonna say um appetite for true crime is pretty much the exact phrase i was going to use there like there's just this especially on streaming services like netflix it's just constant um one thing though that i wonder if the appetite is dwindling for and something i think higgs and i can can discuss (laughs) now is uh edgy superhero movies given the rather dismal box office performance of the suicide squad james gunn's sequel to suicide squad or i guess reboot slash sequel um i was talking to, to you the other day about this higgs and how like it's difficult to kind of ascertain during a pandemic plus when a film like this debuts simultaneously in america on hbo max if a 26 million dollar domestic opening weekend in america is in fact as dreadful as some of the forecasters and kind of critics said it was one thing that i think is dreadful is the film which I fucking hated. Um, and I tell you, I've never felt such... I was supposed to go to a free screening of it and then my friend had, couldn't go to it, so I, I was un, un, unable to be his plus one, such as such are the first world problems that I face. So by the time like Friday rolled around, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm in town. going to get a haircut. Might as well go to a movie, see what this is like. Let's go. So I paid 11 euro, 5 euro popcorn. By the time the credits rolled and I left the cinema, I genuinely had a feeling of shame i felt so shameful and horrible I, I hate this movie so much do you mind me asking did your prediction come true oh the pete davidson thing um yeah yeah not wanting well, to i guess spoil too much 
Unless, oh, I don't know. I mean, Go ahead and spoil it, actually. I don't care. Yeah, we can talk about it. Like, <laughs> some spoilers for the Suicide Squad to follow. Um, so, yeah, my whole thing about the... If anyone is unfamiliar with what, what Norma's referring to is that, like, when the trailers for this film landed and it was like, here's our cast of characters and they Pete Davidson in there, I was like, right, this is a very obvious gag. You hire a guy like Pete Davidson who's very divisive. You know, he's a bit of a zeitgeist figure at the moment in his own way. A lot of people don't like the guy. So you hire him, you make it look like he's going to be a big deal, and you just kill him straight away to set the tone. Because this is James Gunn's Suicide Squad, you know? It's R-rated, and it's got a massive cast of characters. It's very clear by the trailer, like, you know, a lot of them are going to die. That's what you're paying your ticket for. So, in answer to your question, um, yes and no. They fucked up the joke. So he gets introduced, and you see him about three or four times. He gets dialogue. And then they get to this kind of like beachfront landing scene at the opening of the film where the team, almost all the team are killed straight away, including him. He gets shot in the face really unceremoniously and that's the gag. But then about five minutes later, there's a flashback sequence that he's in as well. So I was like, no, nah, the joke is that you just kill him straight away. Like the second he shows up, you just fucking kill him. But they dragged it out because James Gunn's a hack. Higgs, what did you think of this movie? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't have the same level of ire that you do. I, I'm, I'm imagining the, the, the level of disdain that you have for this movie. I know it's not something that you would do, but I, I do recall in my, in my days working in the cinema where people would be so angry with a movie that they'd come out of it and demand a refund as if I had directed the movie itself. And they'd just be like, no, but you don't get it. This was terrible. Like this was, this was awful. Like you've wasted, wasted part of my life. Like I demand a refund. It's like, that's not how this works. Um, oh yeah, I didn't like it. It it doesn't work. Um, you know, James Gunn's clearly kind of going for like a dirty dozen, kind of t- similar to the 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 kind of fun eighties action Commando is a movie that came to mind. Like you know, have a fictitious Central American c- country on an island, preferably send some people in, kill people in gratuitous ways. Um you know essentially that was the expendables um and this is just kind of more of that but with as you said it's super edgy um which is kind of james gunn's thing and you know i don't particularly like what he's not what he's done with the guardians it's not like i have any interest in guardians of the galaxy but like i don't really like those movies but at least within them you know, there's only one person who's James Gunn and it's Chris Pratt. While in this movie, it's like everyone is James Gunn. Everyone's like, you know, oh, are you offended, bro? And it's, you know, it's just a bit too much. Um, yeah, I kind of find like it's 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 incredibly nihilistic in both like its tone and also just like in the way it cares about the characters. I know that's kind of supposed to be the joke. I know they're supposed to be expendable. They are the Suicide Squad. Um but yeah, it's just really cheap and terrible looking. Uh, the, the the shark voiced by Sylvester Stallone is like genuinely embarrassing for twenty twenty one. Like uh, to be having this in a in a big budget movie. Um, Margot Robbie's fine. She's she's good in the role. Um, probably reached saturation point of her playing that role three times in about four years. Uh, John Cena's used quite well, much better than Fast Nine, um, where he kind of. I don't know. He's he's a very he's very good at being a goody two shoes, and very I find him very good at being uh, dislikable as well. So he works, but like everyone else, um, 
is kind of embarrassing, particularly Idris Elba, who is... I was about to say, do you want to go on your Idris Elba rant and how you think that he's no. just completely stealing a career so, these days? So Idris Elba, like... Just go the, back the, to the Sky ads. He... <laughs> Like I'm not I'm not here to be you know saying like you know if you're an actor and you want to make lots of money like that but by sheer virtue that makes you a hack like that's a stupid argument about someone and the idea that someone sells out but he's just such an uninteresting actor is so, like all he does now is big franchise movies and sky ads um and I, I like I think I was talking with you about this the other day Dave, uh, where I was like you know, he's at the stage now where people are like, he has to be the next Bond. It's like he's been in the Star Trek franchise. He's been in the Marvel franchise. He's now in the DCEU, whatever it's called. And I'm probably missing a franchise that he's Fast in. Fast and Furious, did you say that? I can't remember. Fast, you sorry, yeah, Fast and Furious. So he's in that as well. And now he's like, oh yeah, I'll voice uh, Knuckles in a Sonic movie. It's like any cachet this man had, a stringer bell is gone. I'm just like, I'm just so disappointed for like an actor like, who I loved and clearly just makes decisions, career decisions that are only finance based. And again, that's not a knock, but like, you know, one of the, one of the joys of being an actor, I suppose, or one of the, the, the upsides is that you can do the one for them, one for me. Like we talked a lot about another round last time where Mads Mikkelsen's like, yeah, typecast me as a bad guy in all your franchise movies, but then I'll go off and make very interesting, fun movies with my friends. And I want Idris to do that as well as all of this. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. Maybe please. he's just very busy prepping a set for Creamfields when it comes back. <laughs> he could be. That's where, um, that's where the investment lies now. The true artistic integrity. I will. Uh, I will add real quick though. I, no, I didn't ask for a refund. I'm not that kind of person because I worked in Extravision for years and, and I had people come up. I think I may have said before, but like I remember someone bringing back a DVD copy of Roger Dodger and looking for their money back. And I was like, what was wrong? Was the disc scratched? Did it not play? And the guy was like, no, false advertising. And I was like, what do you mean? And he showed me the DVD box and there was a quote from an American critic that said film of the year. And he said, this isn't the film of the year. And I was just like, I can't fucking believe that this is my Saturday night. Wow. But that, yeah, I still miss it though. I wish, I wish Extravision was still around, but it ain't. Um, sorry, real quick, you mentioned Mads Mikkelsen there. I'll mention real quick that I went to see Riders of Justice in the Lighthouse Cinema, which is a Danish action kind of comedy. Um, basically, it's Mads in a much more one-dimensionally kind of brutal role. He plays a military man whose wife and daughter are on a train when there's a, a bomb goes off or hits something and the, his, his wife dies. The daughter lives and essentially he's contacted by these professors who work on algorithms who are completely convinced that this was in fact a targeted attack and it's about these kind of unlikely people grouping together to try and get revenge and you know it's it, like the entire time i watched this film which i really liked although it's got some problems um the tone is just completely all over the place deliberately so and it swings so wild so wildly for the tonally askew fences at times that like Every time it would do this, and it would be genuinely almost uncomfortable at times, I would just, I, I sat there in the audience, and I just kept thinking of, like, Jerry Seinfeld saying, it's European, like, over and over again, because <laughs> it's just the kind of film where, like, an American audience would never make this. There's just, such, like, such weird black humor in it, where, like, at times it doesn't quite work, but you can see the sentiment that they're going for. Overall, you know, for all of its kind of weirdness and violence in it and stuff, it does have actually quite a big heart. The cast are amazing. And yeah, well, well worth checking out, I think, but also a kind of approach with caution. Uh, one of the film I saw real quick before we get back to yours, Higgs, is um, <clears throat> one I've been putting off for years and years and years, but it was the subject of a blank check episode recently in which 
the hosts and their guests spent the entire episode just tearing down the career of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, Don John, which was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's uh, passion project that he made, like writer, director, star, back in 2013. If anyone doesn't know what this film is, it's like an hour and a half long. It's an independent that got picked up. Don't think it did very well. And it was meant to be like the announcement of, of Joseph Gordon-Levitt as like the next auteur, the next big thing in Hollywood. You know, like he can do anything. Um, he plays a kind of a Jersey Shore type guy um, who's obsessed with the gym and obsessed with pornography. And it's about how he masturbates like, you know, all day long, yada, yada. You know, he's trying to like settle down, find a girl, but he's addicted to porn. And again, tonally askew, like it just never settles on what it needs to be. It feels really kind of you know it's just it's a it's such a strange passion project scarlett johansson's in this movie julianne moore as well there's cameos from channing tatum and i think anne hathaway as like film star versions of themselves and brie larson's in this movie it's stacked oh brie larson's in this movie and she gets the uh, the silent bob treatment as a character who says nothing until the end then says something kind of profound but not really tony danz is in this movie Um, sorry did this have a cinematic release i feel like it it did. did It did. I saw it in the cinema. cinema. When? In like 2013 or yeah, in about. It's it's a movie I paid money to see. It made good money as well. Did you ask for a refund? (laughs) I weirdly, I weirdly, because I, when you talked about it, I, I looked on my letterbox. Three and a half. It's it's literally a movie I remember nothing about. <laughs> but, I gave it two for the record. But, it's but fine. three and a half, which puts it, and this one's for David Tapley, as good as the wind that shakes the barley. Nice. That's the <laughs> that's the meter stick to go by. It's a very strange film. It doesn't quite work. And I find Joseph Gordon-Levitt's career to be a fascinating misfire in the end. Even though he's back with some Apple series or something. Higgs, what else have you been watching? Um, I went, I've, I've been kind of just like wanting some kind of comfort movies um, and comfort movies for me. I think like you, we, we share the same. We kind of talk about the 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 very watchable two star movie, uh, preferably 90s. So I've been kind of going through a couple of them. So uh, first up on the docket was Ransom, which is a movie I would have watched quite a bit when I was younger. Um, I think... I think back in the day of like when I would have been having a birthday party when I was like 10 or 11. I can't exactly remember when this movie came out. I was young enough, though, and I would have had a birthday party and would have gone to Dave's beloved X Division. Not the one in Drada, but whatever one was local to me um, and rented Ransom. And it was at the time where I think that this would have easily been a 15s because this is a scuzz fest. Oh, it's Um, nasty. Yeah. So... It kind of really stuck with me because it was, um, you know, I was a bit younger and it was like, oh, you know, you're allowed to get a, a rating above whatever age I was. So, um, you know, I would have rented it and watched it at the party and probably watched it again the next day just because that's what you did. Um, hadn't gone back to it. Um, it's actually kind of fascinating for how dour and filthy uh, this movie is for a big Hollywood production, for a Ron Howard movie, for Ron Howard to make this after making Apollo 13, which is like this movie about, you know, extraordinary feats of uh, American exceptionalism to making a movie where, you know, your your hero, uh, Mel Gibson, who's, uh, whose kid is taken for ransom, you know, your hero is this incredibly dirty mogul who has paid off uh, a Jackie Brown, not that Jackie Brown, um, to basically like smash the unions. The unions aren't playing ball and he runs an airline 
And it's like, okay, that's an interesting choice to make, I guess, for, you know, your supposed, supposedly relatable lead character. Um, he then goes on to, like, attack the free press, quite literally, like, uh, punches one, uh, smashes up a camera. He's an absolute maniac in this film. Like, you know, he, he swings wildly in moods to being like, oh, my God, I want my son back. It's to be like, no, whatever, kill him, throw him in the river, and I'll, you know, I'll get, like, four men coming after you. Uh it's it's just such a, a gross movie. A gross movie that immediately is signified by the fact that Lily Taylor has a massive neck tattoo first scene. She's like a, a server. And again, like, this is the 90s. It was just like, <laughs> what is this film? Yeah, a really fascinating one. I had no idea that Richard Price wrote it, the great Richard Price. Uh, I had no idea that Billy Corgan scored a bunch of, like, there's this, like, uh, you know, weird drone uh kind of sludgy metal that's played where the kid's being held uh, is, just sorry to, is this the tenuous connection that you were trying to get it on to it qualifies yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> future, future episode i don't want to go too much into it donnie Wahlberg is in this movie as well Wahlberg. yeah it's got one of these ridiculously good 90s cast like i mentioned lily taylor delroy lindo's in it um Lee Schreiber is in it. Um, Rene Russo, Gary Sinise, Dan Hedaya. Yeah. It's mental. <laughs> Evan Handler. Yeah, it's... it's also, it's, did you know the kid, the kidnapped kid in question is Nick Nolte's son? No way. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, just a, it's just a... Yeah, it's, it's a very watchable, not very good film. Um, next one up is Blown Away. Blown Away is another movie I saw when I was young. And it's a movie that I kind of saw bits of it. I think when I was like, we were on a holiday somewhere and maybe like staying in a hotel and it was on the TV. And I remember bits of it, but then I would have seen it kind of pre-internet. So I didn't know what it was called because uh, they didn't say what it was called after on the TV and there was no like digital. It was just changing the channel. So in my in my mind for like a couple of years before I probably got the internet and by then, by the time I did, I kind of forgot to care to look it up. I was like, there's this movie where like Tommy Lee Jones is like, you know, he's making bombs and Jeff Bridges is in it. And like, I was like, oh, what, like, what the hell is this? So anyway, throw it on. It's a uh, Stephen Hopkins directed it, who would have made Judgment Night, made Predator 2, kind of a real workhorse director. Um, so Jeff Bridges plays a bomb disposal expert who has just retired. And at his retirement party, a bomb goes off and kills his former partner. So he goes to investigate it. And when he kind of sees this really kind of elaborate bomb um he's like oh i i feel like i know this work um this 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 kind of bombs feel from familiar to me so anyway he's like but it couldn't be no surely not um <laughs> but in fact yes it is uh it is who he thinks it is it is a uh it's never explicitly said that he's in the ira but it is a, an irish man who makes bombs um can we have a little clip of, of, of the, how this sounds? Yeah, we can. Here's Tommy Lee Jones in the, in the motion picture, Blown Away. How much for the toy? Oh, that's Justin's. It's not for sale. Oh, I was hoping to get one for my nephew. He lives in Dublin. Can't find such a toy there. Well, it means so much to him. He's laid up. He got hurt in a car accident, you know. Lost a leg, he did. Shouldn't you drive him Justin. Five dollars. You're a capitalist. Academy Award winner, Tommy Tomas Lee Jones. Tomas Lee Jones, yeah. It's, it's actually, and I'm going to touch on it later, um, 
it's amazing going back and watching Tommy Lee Jones movies from the 90s because now when you think of Tommy Lee Jones, you kind of just immediately default to like No Country for Old Men and this kind of like sullen, stoic old man. While in the early 90s, he was one of the great overactors. Like, you know, I think we, we regularly talk about Under Siege, um, his performance in Batman Forever. Um, this is maybe the biggest performance he's ever done down to that absolutely batshit insane accent um he's doesn't essentially he a, doesn't he sing a u2 song at one he time? sings a u2 there's a couple of u2 needle drops in this um, what was the song in the background of that clip i don't know but it's a really mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a familiar one to me as well it's like the cranberries or something i don't know it, um so yeah so essentially he goes around making these elaborate like rube goldberg bombs um it's just totally all over the place. Um, Lloyd Bridges pops up in it. Uh, he sounds like Popeye. Uh, it's just an absolutely remarkable. I don't know how this thing uh, was made, but very enjoyable. Uh, another great Tommy Lee Jones performance of the 90s is The Fugitive. Um, don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the sequel, U.S. Marshals. Um, with so, Robert Downey Jr. and Wesley Snipes. <laughs> So Tommy Lee Jones returns as Samuel Gerard, the uh, U.S. Marshal. This time he's going after Wesley Snipes. It's basically a remake of The Fugitive. They try and like outdo all the big scenes. Like, you know, you have the bus crash in The Fugitive. In this, it's an airplane crash, so it's a little bit bigger. Um, you know, Wesley Snipes jumps onto a moving train. Um, I love how this movie opens. Uh, it's like a sting kind to kind of introduce you or reintroduce you to the team of U.S. Marshals. And... Uh, I've been playing one of the Hitman games recently and Tommy Lee Jones is in full kind of absurd Hitman costume where he's just dressed as a giant chicken um, waiting outside this sting. And it's just like, just remarkable, remarkable stuff, uh, Tommy. Um, yeah, nowhere near as good. Uh, it has this subplot with Wesley Snipes. It doesn't get as much to do. And like the subplot is very like the Bourne movies where he's, there's just like a lot of conspiracy going on. Um, but very watchable, as you mentioned. Downey Jr. is in this one. He's decent enough. There's good interplay with the marshals themselves. You're kind of watching him be like, oh, I'd actually watch a TV show of this. And then I realized I was thinking of Justified. <laughs> that <laughs> Which is a phenomenal television show that everyone should check out. Um, right. Are we ready to move into the best film of 2015? Is that where we're going? <laughs> Maybe it is. Um, here's what we're here to talk about this week on the show this month whatever uh it's we are your friends starring zach efron and i've got a trailer that sounds a bit like this i just read about this guy right who invented instagram he sold it for 400 million dollars now he was 26 years old you guys want to make real money you want to live and die in the valley we got to get out of here hey you know this party's looking a little stiff so what are you saying i need to amp it up I mean, you can try. It's the DJ's job to get the crowd out of their heads and into their bodies. I like to start them off at about 125 beats per minute. Once you've locked onto their heart rate, you start bringing them up, song by song. Yep, that was basically my social life before the pandemic. Pretty much down to a T there. Captured wonderful documentary style. By a filmmaker who worked on the television show Catfish, I believe. Uh, this was his passion project, and I think Zac Efron's as well, maybe. Uh, if you haven't seen this film, Dave Higgins is here to tell us more about it. Um, yeah, so a lot of it is actually, I guess, explained in the trailer. Uh, this is about Cole Carter, 
uh, wannabe DJ, uh, lives in the San Fernando Valley, which he kind of explains in the beginnings on the other side of the Hollywood Hills. Um, he doesn't speak, he speaks very disparagingly of it, said it's basically known for porn stars and ditzy girls. Uh, he omitted the great home of Paul Thomas Anderson and uh, location of many of his great films. Um, so anyway, he's kind of got like this motley crew of barely fleshed out friends. Uh, there's the angry one who we know he's angry because he uh, wears tank tops and has a skinhead. Uh, there is the kind of kind of nerdy one who, you know, is nerdy because he's called Squirrel. And then there's like just kind of weird skeezy guy um, wears a hat. He's a wannabe actor. Um, they kind of are basically just like looking to hit it rich. There's lots of like aspirational stuff in this. It's it's hard not to draw comparisons with with Entourage and, and the way they go on. But like they're there's no there's no Vinny Chase here yet. They they're hoping that one of them can become a Vinny Chase and the rest of them can kind of uh, live off that. Um, but anyway, Cole is big into the EDM scene. Uh, he works at like a nightclub as a promoter, plays like the side room. He meets James Reed, uh, played by Wes Bentley, who's this like massive uh, EDM DJ who um, I guess is kind of not as big as he once was if he's playing the clubs that uh, Cole is playing. But anyway, he kind of develops a friendship with him, develops uh, a relationship where James mentors him. And he's also introduced to Sophie, played by Emily Ratajkowski, who he immediately kind of makes a pass at and she kind of ignores him. Um, and the three of them kind of develop a relationship. There's a bit of a love triangle going on. And yeah, fallings out, uh, fallings in. It's all here. <laughs> Very nice. Let's just take a taste, by the way, of that aforementioned intro that you mentioned when uh, Zach Efron, who I almost call Zach De La Rocca there. I hope that doesn't happen again. Uh, that'd be a very, very, very different film. Um, yeah, let's have a listen to him introducing the picture in the style that Higgs mentioned earlier. James Reed, social Thursdays. Bring your friends, bring all your friends. If they look like you, bring them all. I'm here, here, you, all you guys. Do anyone come out on Thursday? James Reed's DJ. Social Thursdays, I'll take care of you. Okay. Here, put your number on my phone. If you guys bring like a couple friends, I can get you a free bottle. It's cold, by the way. See you Thursday. Shooting out of college. This is the San Fernando Valley, that flat stretch of land on the other side of the Hollywood Hills. Our greatest contributions to American culture remain the porn industry and ditzy girls. But we've also got the best sushi in the Western Hemisphere. And it's always in the strip mall. Always. That's my friend Mason's house. And that's the pool house in the back where I've been living since I was 15. That's where we threw down with some punks from Canoga Park. And I got this awesome scar. And these are my friends. So, um, something I very much enjoyed about that introduction is as soon as it hits to, like, the title of the film, uh, it comes up like, a Studio Canal film. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is European and artsy. And I don't know, like, I watched this on Prime, and, like, every time it cut to, like, anything to do with text, it was in French. Um, so I don't know if I had a weird rip of this or what the story was, but uh, Norma, we'll go to you first. Uh, did you enjoy hanging out with these four lads in this um, film? Just on a side note to that, because I feel like it it's meant to link into the film somehow. When I first loaded up on Prime, it came up with um, subtitles because I think it was potentially, it was probably dubbed into French at one point. There are several references throughout the film of like, 
pertaining to French things. So I don't know. There's a French studio involved. The studio that distributed internationally is Studio Canal, but it's a Warner Brothers film. What what you're saying, Dave, because uh, thank you for sharing your login with me. Um, obviously, <laughs> I also had the French, but when I looked at a clip of that online, it was in German. Oh. <laughs> so, so they must Mystery have done it. Continued. Yeah, depending on whatever country it was for. But yeah. So they, yeah, they potentially dubbed it over. It was it was know. a bad performance by a major tech company. That's what I'm saying. <sighs> Um, did off. I did I enjoy the boys? I um I did not. I thought this was all fairly embarrassing um throughout the 95 96 minutes. Um I actually had like a weird moment at that very opening section. I was like, "Oh, yeah, maybe this has got something. It's got some edge, it's got some bite to it." To be fair, the like the story like the log line sounds kind of interesting like and I just think whatever cool edgy authentic idea they began with because the story is by someone but then the actual screenplay is by Max Joseph and Megan Oppenheimer Oppenheim I could have that wrong Oppenheimer Oppenheimer um I don't know whether it just got lost in a translation somewhere but the script is so utterly bad and um all the characters just like even when they have deep moments i couldn't connect to any of them they all just seem extremely selfish and frivolous didn't care didn't really get an awful lot of backstory into anyone even though we're expected to take the weight of their backstories on um and i for a film that's meant to be about music and the love of music genuinely feels like it's made by people who don't care about music at all yeah it's strange i think that like it's trying to do a lot in 96 minutes as you say and it felt like a long 96 minutes but maybe that's because of it because it doesn't quite like it it's, it's meant to be like this kind of story about these like you know I guess they're losers, even though, of course, everyone in this film is, like, beautiful looking, of course, which is unavoidable. Like, you got Zac Efron, Emily Ratajkowski, I guess Wes Bentley's also attractive, you know? It's just, like, cool. Like, like everyone here is just gorgeous. And they're all down on their look, even though, again, they all look like models. But, like, I guess the whole thing is, you know, they're trying to, like, get out of the suburbs of the valley and come good. Uh, That's one element of the story. At one stage, they work for John Bernthal's character, who's like this very obviously shady real estate guy. So there's there's commentary on, I suppose, on like the housing crash and how people get exploited and left in the gutter and like monsters get rich. Um, Then it's like a you know, as Higgs notes, there's a love triangle in here. Uh, there's brief commentary, I suppose, on the dangers of drugs. Like, it's just like, I, like, I, I didn't quite know what it wanted to be. Um, I will say that, like, while I didn't necessarily find it charming or anything, I didn't think it was anywhere near as repulsive as Entourage, uh, even though it is, that is definitely uh, a comparison point. Like, it's very similar in a lot of ways. There was a weird sincerity to it. I mean, I don't think it works, but I didn't hate it, and... You know, I, I I felt like everyone was trying to make some kind of point, but the point was just kind of beyond them. I just thought, like, like, like it's really strange. It's not the film I thought it would be. It's not a better film than I thought it would be. But I don't know what film it's trying to be. Higgs. Yeah, you're right. Like, it, it there is, like, a weird, earnest quality to it. It's, it, it is, it's well-meaning. It tries, you know, when, when you... 
I suppose like when you meet Cole at the beginning, like he doesn't seem the worst person in the world. He just seems like a kind of a young idiot, which, you know, I was a young idiot. And, you know, we've all been young idiots. Uh, and he, he certainly shows some level of growth by the end of the movie. But yeah, in, if you want to talk, gonna talk about like hero's journeys, his one is, I don't know, he just kind of goes from being like, I just need this hit song um, to apparently creating it. And then you kind of, yeah, you have all these kind of things on the periphery where um, they seem to just have like hijacked a bit of the subplot of um, the very good film of Michael Shannon, 99 Homes, which is about like the kind of um, the foreclosure market where people just like were losing their homes and like you get cash for keys. And it's, you know, always happy to see John Bernthal um, doing a weird kind of. Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Ross speech, but with a baseball bat in his hand to like add a little bit of extra menace. If, if you if you didn't realize this guy is not a good dude, um, yeah, it, everything's just so like thinly um, thinly sketched out that it doesn't kind of commit to anything. Um, you you do say like it does have an anti drug message, but then it also like really glorifies drugs as well because like in terms of Cole's experiences of drugs in this movie. Um, in two in particular are kind of like certainly the high points for him. There's a there's an early scene where he accidentally kind of or unknowingly smokes PCP angel dust and he kind of goes to this art gallery. Um, oh, sorry. Is this when show. the film turns into turns into Waking Life? Linklater's Waking Life. Yeah, I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> so Which I have to say is a film I fucking hate. But in this film, when that happened, I kind of liked that. It works I was really like, well. So it was actually quite cool. Like was that flourish, was an interesting yeah. choice. And I thought if there was maybe, I don't know, maybe more of those interesting choices yeah. made. I was like, yeah, more. I was like, maybe this film is going to be weirder than I thought it would be. And then it isn't apart from that one bit, which was kind of cool. Yeah, like it's it's definitely an overmade movie. Like even like as you're saying, like it, it it's quite a short movie, and there's like a lot. It's like a lot of stuff stuffed into it, even though it does feel like it drags. Um, so yeah, this particular scene, it's like it's rotoscoped animation. It is very well done and works really well, and is kind of like a good scene of showing someone being really high. That is in stark contrast to a scene later when he takes drugs with Emily Ratajkowski and. Zac Efron's kind of way of showing that he's like on drugs is very much like the Joe Tribbiani school of acting where he's, um, you know, looks like he's trying to do an incredibly, you know, hard equation. Um, and he's just like, it's, it's, it's not even a gurn. It's a, it's just a, you know, very kind of complicated look in his face, but in general, um, on top of that rotoscope animation scene, yeah, it's just the whole movie feels really, really overmade. Um, you said you liked the opening scene. You kind of get like these big, stark, we are your friends visuals. And there's just like a lot of the movie is like cutting to like big text slammed on the screen. Like it's it's very, it's very designed. I don't know. I don't know if it really adds a whole lot to it. But yeah, overall, there's kind of a bit too much going on here. Let's um let's take a moment between... Zac Efron and Wes Bentley it's kind of when Wes Bentley's character take him under his wing and he's basically like explaining what he needs to do so this is what this is what Wes Bentley has to say for advice you were good out there you know you really know how to work a crowd thanks man you know let's hear that track of yours again you got it with you okay here's the thing the beginning sounds like Skrillex's brother made it. And then right here. 
That sounds like early Juan Atkins to me, which is good, but uh, you're trying to be too many different people. I want a lot of switches. I want a lot of transitions. Yeah. That's what's crushing it now. All that was missing was a hashtag. Imitation is suicide. Emerson said that. Okay. Look, you can make people dance, and that's half the battle. Any successful artist, they have this moment where they stop being an admirer, and they find their signature. It's pretty profound stuff. Norma, what did you think of the stakes in this movie? And did you buy Zac Efron as a cool, hip DJ type? Um... I mean, yeah, like like you were saying, like they're all like these super attractive, cool guys running around. I would say one of the things that slightly jars for me in it is that I don't think Zac Efron looks 23. Like I know he did the high school musical thing for a long period of time and he was probably pulling off teenager for like a length of time. But at this point, I don't know what age he is now, but I just I just didn't buy the extremely youthful thing and I actually think the film maybe would have benefited a little bit more if they'd been slightly younger all four of the guys all four of the main guys none of them look 23 are you saying Zac Efron is washed (laughs) (laughs) I will say there's a bit there's a scene where he walks in he's meant to be hungover and uh, James Reed's like uh, remarks on the fact that he looks like shit and I'm like he looks flawless (laughs) flawless <laughs> what are you talking about well hang on i think he i looks think Zac Efron incredible. is i think he's 33 now so i think he was 26 27 when he made this but yeah yeah like, i guess i just i didn't buy he's very leathered i suppose he's very tan. yeah i just i didn't quite buy this like extreme naivety out of them even the like the i can't remember the name of the actor who does mason who's like the super angry guy with the tattoos but it has like a heart of gold because he buys them all a house to live in and stuff like this the dynamic of the friend group is a little bit strange and complicated and it kind of made me think of that film mid 90s and how they did that so much better um i feel like it's a similar kind of dynamic they were trying to set up but again like you were saying dave it's just like so many different things being pushed in together i i feel like i believed Zac Efron at points and like I don't know I read afterwards that he got like DJ lessons from Alesso and I was like to do what? <laughs> what was he fucking getting lessons in? Like he stands in front of his decks he puts on his headphones which I will say Dahlia Droni couldn't join us on the podcast I know he was keen to but he was busy with work he he before he had to go away he saw the first 10 minutes of the film and kind of like the latter like 30 minutes of the film when he came back and he was just like, why is Zac Efron going around with like headphones constantly on him? And he was like, I've never gotten on stage and put on a pair of like proper headphones <laughs> to perform. But they're always um, on him, no matter what scene they, he's in, no, no matter, matter what, what he's And it's doing. like, that's like, he's a DJ because he's, like he's an action figure. And, and he goes running it's in these so massive headphones. I'm like, what the headphones. fuck? <laughs> and it was just like, I will say in general, the production design and the costume design in this, while they are probably they do look like they have a lot of money put into them. I did not like them. I didn't like the look of the film and not so much the cinematography, more so the actual design. Like I didn't like the outfit choices. I thought Emily Ratajkowski, they made her look quite boring in a lot of things. Um, And not, I don't think as a purposeful character choice, I thought they were quite like basic choices to put, to dress characters in. I don't think there was an incredible amount of like... I don't know, nuance to it. Um, and that 
bothered me quite a bit as well. Like there's a bit where Emily Ratajkowski's kind of side story is that she's with this older DJ. She's his PA as well as his girlfriend. She's dropped out of Stanford. Um, she goes to dinner with James and Cole and you kind of get a little insight into the fact that they don't have the best relationship he kind of uses and and abuses her a little bit emotionally runs off cheats on her kind of that all that stuff is sort of implied um and she is struggling with that she normally dresses in quite normally like nice clothes and then for some weird reason when she's she's like oh don't rag on my friends you know they're my friends to James and then she goes to this college party which she clearly hates and seemingly none of her actual friends are there so that that whole thing made no sense um, but she's wearing like this really like high necked collared dress that I was just like, why is she wearing this dress? Is it because that's what they think her going to a college party or what she thinks college people wear? It's just it was just really weird. And it just like it almost looked like it just didn't really like suit her. And Emily Radikowski could wear a trash bag and look incredible. So I was just like this whole thing. I feel like her character was sort of left hanging for a lot of it. And then by the end of it, she's just this pretty poster girl who dances around the place and, you know, has a sex scene with Zac Efron. In in, in terms of how she looks and, and you saying that you don't really like the way everyone's dressed is I watched this movie and maybe it's kind of my withering uh, opinion of the kind of the American strain of EDM. Like, I feel like the term EDM is a, is, is a complete American construct. Like, you know, we just called it Electro or whatever. And then suddenly it blew up over there and it just was called that. Is everyone in this movie just kind of really basic? And that's why they kind of aren't dressed well. Like, Zac Efron's kind of dressed terribly. His kind of go-to is like, again, like, all these people are really good looking, but they don't seem in any way... Um, imaginative or creative so the fact that they dress kind of blandly makes a lot of sense for me well yeah I mean the whole film to go back to what Norman was saying that the whole thing looks like it was shot through an Instagram filter um, where everything looks oversaturated or something or like you know Coachella would be the name of the filter and, and the clothing is similar it's just kind of like maybe you know fucking American Apparel were the suppliers of the clothes because it's all very just like it's all that time it's all like 2013 it's men in grey t-shirts yeah and you know again like looking like zach efron so it's fine um well hang on i want to um you mentioned like you know his 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 dj skills or like like the visualization or like (laughs) yeah him the visualization of him as dj which is often him hunched over a set of decks twiddling knobs twiddling knobs and just looking like he's about to like land a plane or something (laughs) um so i want to play you heard it in the trailer but here is zach efron's character cole carter uh, explaining how to make people move. I it's very. It's, it's 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 a long scene. I've got the end of it here. Emily Ratajkowski approaches him at a party that he's DJing at, and she's like, "Time to amp it up, Cole." He mansplains EDM. Grant it's wonderful. Yeah. He mansplains, to a girl who's going out with a DJ, a very successful. He he mansplains fight. EDM, but he also explains to us, the audience, about unlocking the magic BPM, which sounds a bit like this. Once you've locked onto their heart rate, you start bringing them up, song by song.
popular myth that 128 beats per minute is the rate that synergizes most with your heartbeat. That's the magic number. Once you've gotten your crowd there, you're controlling their entire circulatory system. So uh, one of my favorite bits in that, by the way, is when it cuts to Wes Bentley looking on in awe. And, and, and he has the look of like, oh my God, like, like it's like, he's going to do it. Or like, what is he doing? And it's very much like, oh. And then, of course, you have also have all the party goers. And as Zac Efron's narration intensifies, you get to see like hearts beating and kind of things running through the system. Uh, Norma, um, in the sequence, by the way, Emily Ratajkowski is like front and center in terms of like, representing this scene but also not to be crude here but it does kind of feel like it's an excuse for the filmmaker to just completely leer at her chest she's wearing like a scandalous very open this entire film yeah like like like, let's talk about it like 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 one of the things i've written down in my notes here is the male gaze because Um, because you didn't want to just write misogynistic I, we can we, we can use that word i mean take it away i feel like it i feel like it is like there's so much like i i kept thinking that maybe it was just like because the story is by Richard Silverman, I think. I, d- I don't know his previous work. And then it's Max Joseph himself who wrote the actual screenplay with Megan Oppenheim. And uh, I refuse to believe she could have had input, that much input into it, because there's just, it's so centered around men and men getting what they want and like... Even like the idea that they set up EDM as a way to just like at one point I was like, it just seems like he's just being a DJ to get laid. And like, that's the thing to do. And like women just appear and present themselves and are accessible and that's fine. And there's just so many comments that are made that are like wild. I'm just like, why was that even necessary to say there's a door girl um, in the club that they are promoting for who has like three lines in the film and then is never seen again. And it's just a very awful, awkward interaction. I did not enjoy any of that. Um, and again, yeah, when she comes up to the decks, well, Zach Efron's explaining all that whole thing and she's wearing a very low cut play suit. And I'm just like, what? Why am I just looking at her tits? <laughs> it's just crazy. I just, I did like... I don't know what Max Joseph wanted out of this. Like, again, I looked at his back catalogue. Catfish is his main thing. He left a part of season six or something to make this his directorial debut. I do not know what he wanted any of the women to represent in this or what idea they were going to get across or what how they were going to affect the storyline or anything like that. It just... It just seems a bit crazy. They just seem as like add-ons and accessories to being a cool DJ. Yeah, like the I think when we're like we're introduced to the the lads at the start of the movie and they're trying to like get people to go to the club, the 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 the, the wannabe actor who's basically a drug dealer but is kind of handsome, so apparently like women flock to him. Like the first thing he says is like a girl's walking by, he's like, Oh hey, nice nose job. And she's like, oh, really? Oh, thank you so much. And like, then there's like another 
Um, there's another woman like at the club who's like a little bit more forward, but who's painted as this kind of some sort of crazed sex monster who just like is like, yeah, I'm having you squirrel. So yeah, the, the kind of across the board, it, it is, it's, it's entourage wish fulfillment. Um, and this scene does seem like it was basically reverse engineered. It's like, well, how can we get away with like, like there's one of the kind of leering shots to open it of like a woman's behind, which is, you know, straight out of the Michael Bay school of uh, cinematography. And then it's like, oh, well, how do we do this with our lead actor? It's like, oh, well, you know, we can, we can have this ridiculously over didactic scene talking about um, how, how dance music works. <laughs> Like, here's why people want to dance that's stuffed full of all these kind of like mixed media of like pages from like medical textbooks and like, you know, steam trains probably going off. Like at one stage, I was like very much expecting like Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man to like start boogieing down. It's like, this is <laughs> an absurd movie. Um, but yeah, like it's, 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 it's terrible. And Emily Ratajkowski... I can't say whether she gives a good or bad performance in this because her character basically just exists to be a kind of something to stick between the real kind of love story uh, of this movie, the real relationship of the movie between uh, Cole and between James. I was going to say, I mean, at one stage while I was watching this film, um, I I, I was considering my Letterboxd review, my entire review to be one man's quest to fuck Emily Ratajkowski because that's what it is. Like, like that's what, like, this is around the time, I mean, how long are we removed from the Blurred Lines video? I know she pops up in Gone Girl and in Gone Girl as well, she is a sex object, but I guess there's a slight degree of nuance there because obviously, like, you're playing with stereotypes, including even the casting of Ben Affleck in that movie, I would argue, is meant to play into our perception of him and she's you know she's kind of more a victim in that movie to a degree in this one though like it's it's very hard to get past the fact that it just feels like we're like who's the hottest model in the world hire her and we'll just leer over her entirely which i mean like i say like you know i do find some of this film to be sincere but that stuff was jarring uh, and not that long ago it's like seven six years seven years six years ago like is it or thereabouts maybe yeah 2015 oh sorry 15 yeah. yes it was 2015 because um I actually, I remember thinking there's a weird bit in the film. This is a slight offshoot. There's a weird bit in the film where when Cole first, they're at the at a James Reed's party and he brings him into a studio, which I also like people keep being like surprised by things in the film, like characters in the film are surprised by things. I'm like, why are you surprised by that? So like he brings him into a studio and Zac Efron's like, oh my God, what the hell? I'm like, yeah, he's a very famous DJ. Why wouldn't he have a studio in his house with expensive instruments? <laughs> it's like, it's his job. He's got a drum oh, kit. Just, yeah. on that, just on that scene, there, there's, is that the bit where... Uh, the Bowie thing? The, the Bowie. So uh, yeah, he gets to the Bowie reference. Yeah, he's like, oh, he, he used that to record Space Odyssey. And I'm like... This dude has never heard never. a David Bowie song. <laughs> this is one very weird thing about the film is that it references so many people's backstories. And the, sorry, the point I was getting to was this is the same year that I think Straight Outta Compton came out. So if you're going to watch a film that's about music, I'd watch that one. Um, but at the start of Straight Outta Compton, when you're like introduced to Dre as like a young guy he's listening to music he's playing records and you get the sense that he's someone who enjoys and loves music you get a sense of where his background of the influences he has comes from so later on in the film when he talks about music you're like oh well I've seen him 
birth that I've seen him enjoy and love these records so I get where all this comes from he mentions Bowie and I'm like you have literally not mentioned any any bit previously in the film any music you like or what you're into other than you want to make music that is a mismatch of everything because you want to be able to change it up loads I was like that just sounds like you're an internet boy who's just like ooh, you know what'll get me laid being a DJ <laughs> and and he even like he 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 exposes himself when he's when he's playing his his god-awful uh first uh version of a song to James and he's just like this is what's crushing it right now and the whole thing is is that yeah like I don't know that this person likes music like even before you don't see him really listening to music you see him kind of like messing away with a couple of WAV files which isn't really telling you anything about him or, or what he's interested in and the whole thing just seems to be well this seems like a logical way for me to get super rich um like so i guess i'll go with that yeah sex, get all those things sure even um, the um the courtship of the zach efron emily radikowski character because like from the second they meet you're like well look here you go here's our two hot stars they're going to hook up it's a matter of time even that just doesn't really feel like, like there's any weight to it when they like like when they when they finally get together they're at, they're at this like festival and she's like james ditch me and it's like they do drugs together and next thing you know they're running they're literally running through the streets of las vegas i think it is for about like four minutes it looks like paris like i mean i've had some good dates in my time i can't recall sprinting through a city as a woman holds my hand the entire time like we're in there a was video. a ferris wheel but also the eiffel tower it's what? that's vegas like, baby <laughs> she <laughs> loves it, it there it looks like a video it's shot like a video there's not even that much drama to the eventual reveal when Wes Bentley finds out apart from one absolutely hilarious moment where he follows Zac Efron into a bathroom while Zac Efron is getting sick and then he judo throws Zac Efron and is like I do MMA bro and it's like what what is this <laughs> I like sorry of the point that I think you had asked earlier and what I was like kind of getting to because even that idea of that scene with here's the science behind building an EDM track which Dahi and I assume other people will disprove um, completely trash that immediately he was like <laughs> I have never heard of this it's like in the school of EDM that has not been taught um like the film, as as much as like I felt like there was so many things that were very misogynistic, even the constant trashing of drunken love. That's a tune. I don't know why they hated that so much. Um, it does feel like this film is made for young lads. And it's like, this is what young lads want to hear and see. And this is how they talk. And this is what they think is cool. And, you know. Having an older guy know some MMA moves where he could absolutely floor you in a bathroom while you've taken loads of drugs and slept with his mega hot girlfriend. Yeah, is that what the teenage boys want? I guess, yes. Potentially. I mean, it's hard to know. Like That's who with, it's for, right? Like, I, I guess. I mean, like, like it's it, it's not... I, I assumed it was for the the EDM crowd, but I don't even know it's how... It's not! It's, I, don't, I don't even know how, how much enjoyment they're getting out of this. Because, I mean, like... All throughout the film, there's this talk of like playing a festival, which is called Summerfest, which is outstandingly generic. It's like, fuck, it's a, we couldn't get the rights to anything. So. It's an actual festival. Like, You're joking. I, I, I was like, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, surely, 
say Coachella, say some, I'm sure there's a there's Tomorrow festivals Land, in Vegas, but right. yeah, it, it's just like yeah, Summerfest. No, it it is it's a it's a real thing with the, that generic background because when he plays it, the backdrop is just like these two large it's the colored buildings. It's the old I don't know if it's still the old American Apparel building, which is so weird because this movie seems so this movie's like seven six, sorry six years old. It seems like this weird time capsule, and the fact that the movie kind of ends. Um, I mean, it, it's 2015, so it was probably like literal months before Dolph Cheney was kicked out of American Apparel and the entire brand just like completely sank. Um, and like that kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's it's such a strange film. Sorry. I would say <laughs> that the best song in it is the remix of Years and Years Desire over the him and Eddie yeah. Radikowski getting together. Good song. That's good. And the title track, I guess, is a great song. <laughs> yeah, but like, that's good as well. well I don't really to... know why Justice gave it. I don't know maybe they're friends with the fucking catfish guys I mean like you never know <laughs> um, I will say or maybe they're like Zac Efron's cool Emily Radikowski's amazing Do, uh, John Bernthal's in this movie you've got our song um, I <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to Zac Efron's big uh, culmination of writing the perfect song soon because I, I need to talk about that um, but I will say in the meantime uh, there's a death in this film I mean like there's a moment where the lads move into a house together I actually have a clip of that one so let me uh, this is them moving into a house that seems like the perfect place to live, but turns out not to be. I thought we said Hollywood Hills, not Granada Hills. This right here, it's your studio. Soundproof the walls. And this, this is me. Of course. You all be very happy to know there's a central AC unit. Huh? What if somebody wants to move out? And move out. We'll fill it in with some Craigslist. How much? Seven fifty. Okay. <laughs> what are you this for? Huh? You're already renting it? Here you go. Are you crazy? Oh, dude, I forgot the best part. What are you doing? Welcome to the dream. <laughs> Yeah, that was a swimming pool uh, in the cool house. Um, I, 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 like I say, I keep it's weird. I keep like it's almost like I'm on trial here. When I was like, I think it's kind of sincere. I'm like, this is my <laughs> idea of hell. This sesh gaff with these lads. Like, I, I literally, like, I was, I was watching this and I was just like, Jesus. And like, I, like, I was thinking, oh yeah, it's, but Dave, it's just because you're, you're in your, your mid to late thirties. And I was like, nah. When I was their age, when I was twenty three, I was like, this is still my idea of hell. Like, just these fucking bros broing it up constantly, and it's just nonstop house party i'm like yeah i'm aware i sound like a square but it's just nah man that was a horror scene for me and then a horror scene happens after their first big party they wake up the next day and the i suppose most sympathetic one of the group is dead and it's like okay and it's dealt with so matter-of-factly like it's shocking like there's no build-up to it whatsoever they're just like he's not breathing bro and then it cuts to zach efron crying in a suit at a funeral and i was just like what like what is this? There, there is a little weird thing where he, like that particular character, Squirrel, talks about how like has kind of like the deep, meaningful conversations with Zac Efron where he's like, don't you think we're there's something better than this? Are we better than this? We got to get out of here. We got to get out of the valley and all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, he very tragically overdoses at the party accidentally, I guess. Um, 
And yeah, I didn't like he didn't seem like the one who was on the slippery slope with drug use. So it does it does kind of shock you. Um, and then it shocks the others to sort of reevaluate their lives and what they were doing and stuff like that and reevaluate the work that they were doing with that company that I don't think I still fully get how that came about or what exactly was going on. There's also another like sub subplot where Zac Efron um, is sort of involved in a scheme to get a house off this lady, her house going to foreclosure. They and uh, the company they work for agrees to buy it for like $20,000 and rent it back to her at a good rate. But like, they're just not going to do that. That never really gets wrapped up unless I missed. A bit. Oh, there's oh, a we- post. There's a mid credits like 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 moment where like like Samuel L. Jackson walks out with an eye patch. No, there's there's genuinely a, a post credit sequence where no, I we swear. Got a, well, that's concluded. We got yes. a happy ending for Tanya we, Romero. Don't you um, worry, Norma. Yeah, because everything's going to be fine. It's a post credit in the post credits. So John Bernthal's aforementioned scumbag character. I get like, a fucking gou- riot. This is, 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 so is, is gouging these people for their houses, and Zac Efron's like, "Wait, this is terrible." And John Wait, Bernthal's like, "You know, no, this is how we do it, the man." Bad guy? Ma- yeah massive commission for you and so eventually like after the death of squirrel zac efron and the agro mate quit the job the actor skeezy guy who is a good looking guy he's like i'm gonna stay on you guys can hate me if you want they get into a fight it's all over everything's falling apart uh emily radikeski has broken up with wes bentley at this point and you know is estranged from zac efron he gets back together friendship wise with wes bentley whose character by the way is like apparently a recovering alcoholic even though he's always casually doing drugs and drinking alcohol and also like Wes Bentley in real life you know had massive substance issues it almost killed his career it almost killed him like he's, he's very much on the record about all this kind of stuff and his kind of I guess mini comeback over the last few years has been good to see and like he's healthy looking and that's great and in this film he plays a guy who's teetering on the edge but it never quite goes there which is strange but yeah long story short after it's all over there's a sequence because you know like throughout the entire film Zac Efron is putting cash money into an Adidas into the shoebox into a shoebox he and has that lot- never got resolved it does get resolved this is the post credit scene that you missed so obviously at the end of the film that shoebox is presumably fit to burst with blood money what does he do with it Norma he leaves it on the doorstep of the woman whose house that they were going to take away from her he does but had she not right already signed thing. it over for like 20 grand possibly but he's giving her a lot of money so it's something you know i still don't think i still don't think that that would suffice (laughs) he's a good guy he also gets back together with emily radikowski they're gonna you know Uh, yeah because i think i watched i watched up to like that awful ending bit where it cuts to him asking for pie in the coffee shop she now works in and then they sit down at a table and he's playing her a track and she dances yeah in her seat in the coffee shop and he's like yeah this is it everyone learned a lesson Wes Bentley has no problem with any of this and takes him back under his wing which leads me to the greatest thing in the film and my god so so obviously all through the film Higgs what has been the thing here what's his hero's journey he needs to write one track one track to rule them all one track to get (laughs) out of the valley (laughs) (laughs) one track to be the hottest shit in California. Well, that's all it takes as an EDM artist. So you need one track. Well, there's an argument. I mean, it's funny because you mentioned the whole drunken love thing. And like, like I remember like for years, I had a friend who like would DJ in a club and people would always come up and be like, Do you, can you play Avicii levels? And he'd be like, no. Uh, so like, there is always one track can do it. One track can put you on the map. Um, 
there's a weird thing here that doesn't quite make sense in as much as all throughout the film, and I guess this is why he's always wearing the, the giant headphones or they're always slung over his shoulders. I guess the message is meant to be that like he's just he's not tuning into the world around him. You know, he's lost in his headphones. He's lost in what's, you know, like in his head. There's a moment in the film when uh, he's out running at the end and his phone dies. So he like takes off the headphones. And at that moment I went, oh no. I was like, I know where this is going. And like, there's like, there's power lines overhead that are suddenly buzzing that much louder. There's like a wind (laughs) chime in someone's like porch that's like, there's, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, oh, here it is. This is the big epiphany. He's going to realize that actually capturing and using found sound in dance music is the way to go. And that is what he does. Now, did we all think of the same person who we all know who does this for a living? Dahi Odroni. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at your thing in the dark where it was like, who does this also sound like that we all know? Did and I said to Dahi, I was like, who do you think it is? And he was like, it's me, right? <laughs> <laughs> when the wind chime that came on i was like there's you (laughs) (laughs) no i was like and it's like it's like oh my god what what, what a genius approach to music and it's like yeah it is my mate does that pal but here's what doesn't (laughs) here's what doesn't make sense they treat it as if he's just stumbled upon the in this exact moment when his phone ran out but throughout the film he's been recording stuff on his phone he's been recording his friend spinning a coin another friend using a nail gun on a roof. Uh, there's a moment very early on when Emily Ratajkowski is zipping up and zipping down her jacket. Not in a sexual way, she's just zipping up and zipping down her jacket and he looks at it and in that moment I was like, oh, he's not actually leering at her. He's picking up on what she's doing and he's going to... Uh, and at that moment I was like, he's going to make that into a song. I know he is. That's what they're going to do. And that's what happened. Like, you get all these callbacks. There's also a moment as well which I didn't mention earlier on where like they, they bring Emily Ratajkowski in on a recording session and she's got headphones on and she's like into the microphone and she's saying stuff like electricity is synchronicity and I was like what the fuck is this so the point is uh, having learned harsh lessons Cole gets the chance to go play Summerfest open up for James Bentley's character and he because he rings him up and he goes I've got something I've got something for Summerfest so he's got the song and it is of course a composite of stuff he's been recording and an aforementioned thing about his mate Squirrel, who he recorded in the coffee shop that day, who said something to him, and he puts it into the song. So I want you to picture Zac Efron standing in front of hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. He's millions. DJing. Millions. He's emotional. And here it is. This is what the film's been building to, and this is what he plays. Don't you feel like there's a lot more we can be doing? Like more quality stuff? I mean, Cole... Oh. Are we ever going to be better than this? Are we ever going to be better than this? Are we ever going to be better than this?
Yep. As the tears stream down his face while he's doing it and like, you know, dry ice goes off around the place and the crowd goes fucking mental. And it's, you know, it's clever. It's subversive because he's taking a sad moment and he's making everyone there feel like it's actually a, it's a defined statement of power. This is the moment. This is the now. Uh, that song is done by an act called Pyramid, I believe. It's not the worst thing I've ever heard, but this, this the scene, the way it played out, the level of earnestness, the level of like hardcore, everyone's going for it emotion wise. I just couldn't stop laughing. I was like, this is so funny. I was like, this is genuinely hysterical. It's not meant to be funny whatsoever. And I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, YouTube, which is always a great place to get reactive (laughs) comments. Uh, I found one that stood out to me beneath the video of this exact moment. Uh, Someone by the name of Simple Ace said, this movie truly hit different. It caught me off guard. Thought I was going to watch a fun, enjoyable movie about a DJ trying to get big while meeting this girl and shit. This music serves like a, like a, like a journey, a convoy of unbridled emotion that extends our understanding of ourselves. Are we ever going to be better than this? Are we? And so the music, his passion, his in a way coping mechanism acts through humanity and nature. It is fucking deep. Norma, <coughs> did you think it was fucking deep? Oh my god. <laughs> um no. Uh the fact that he could go back to your man whose girlfriend he'd banged and say I actually have this idea for a song and I want to play that slot still and your man would go yeah you know what dude do it seems a bit wild no he's very forgiving very forgiving obviously and then Zac Efron prepares to go on stage which also another weird thing is like about that festival he begins in dead silence which is Never the case (laughs) at a festival. Nobody, absolutely nobody begins in dead silence. There's always something, particularly with DJs. If there was DJs, there's always some underlying music. There's no way he comes on stage. Everyone is giving him every ounce of their attention, even though he's a support act. Um, It's daytime as well, isn't it? Like it's fucking three in the afternoon. How drunk are these people? (laughs) Very courteous crowds at Summerfest, notoriously. Yeah, like what I thought the... He does at first drop on the track that's like offbeat that I didn't understand. And then there's the actual like main drop. Yeah, it's fine. Again, like the, the music in this film is in no way the highlight I don't think it teaches you anything about music, despite how hard it tries. It uh, it does not present a lot of very good music that is being made. Like there's so much of him in the studio making things. And yet at the end of the day, all he did was come out with one track. And I was just like, I don't <laughs> like what's going on here. And then he makes he makes a lot of references to like you talked about how his mom used to play piano. We have to assume he comes from kind of a tragic background. We're not told anything much about it other than like she's not there anymore. His dad's his name is Richard. Um like the dad isn't there anymore. Again, everyone seems to have like quite intense backgrounds, but we know we are not given anything about them. Um, similarly with James Reed, like it's hinted that he is a very tragic background as a recovering alcoholic and he makes reference to the fact that he's like seen stuff and lived through things that uh, Zac Efron couldn't imagine and yet like we have no we never find out what any of that stuff was but he looks very proud of Zac Efron at the end of it um, and is like yeah you did it, you made the song he has to go on and follow him 
um, as the next act up. So. Uh, there's no following that though, is there? I mean, that's just. I mean, it's top tier. Like Wes Bentley should be like seen storming off, but instead he's like, "Yeah, man, you did it." And it's like, "What? Like who? Like what are the stakes? I don't know." Yeah, Higgs. and then it's got the cutaways to like the guy who's chosen to pursue acting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're all off in their separate paths now. Yeah, and all, doing their bits. Yeah, they've all grown up fine. a little bit. They've yeah. learned some lessons. They, they all learned something. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, like, I I, I didn't I, I I didn't hate this film. Higgs, did you uh, have an emotional reaction to the ending? No, not at all. As much <laughs> as, as much as I love a foley floor filler, uh, that one didn't quite like hit hit deep for me. Um, but yeah, like you, I didn't I didn't hate the movie, even though there's some pretty. Yeah, there's some ugly stuff in it, but um, yeah, I guess I kind of I kind of like Zac Efron. I guess is 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 where this kind of comes to. I think um, um, I actually didn't know about uh, Wes Bentley kind of the, the troubles that he's had, and I think he's really good in this. I think he really suits the role, and he he's uh, I want to see more of him basically. But yeah. Um, Hard movie to say that I love, but yeah, it was fine. It, again, like it's fascinating. It's a weird kind of timepiece where it's just like I, I don't know. Does this world even exist anymore? <laughs> it doesn't seem to me like it does. It's a world I've never really known before, and I may never know it again. But for ninety six minutes, <laughs> I was whelmed, I suppose. So that's a that's what in you, reference <laughs> to ten things I hate about you. <laughs> I was whelmed. That's a better. That's a better movie. In fairness, that's a much better movie. Um, Yeah, great songs in that. Zac Efron uh, has charm and presence. I feel bad for Emily Ratajkowski. Wes Bentley was fine. Always nice to see John Bernthal. I don't think it's terribly directed. It's over directed, as you say. There is a couple of moments of like a film that could have been better and different and weirder. But overall, they tried to cram in a lot and can't fault ambition, can fault misogyny. It is pretty gross at times. Could have done a better job. But that, that was 2015 for you guys. It was six long years ago. We fixed it. So um, that's We Are Your Friends. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to share your login like I did with my friend Higgs. So uh, we're moving on to another film, uh, which hopefully, hopefully we'll get to see. It's scheduled for cinema release a couple of weeks after we're recording this. So if we get to see it, we get to talk about it. If it gets pushed back because of pandemic reasons or who knows, I guess we'll pick something else. But for now, the next film on Now Popcorn is this one. First time I fell in love. Woke up next to the girl. And escaped fast and far. And Anne has changed me. What I see in her is obvious. What she sees in me is... Hmm. It's a little more puzzling. One, two, three, four! The dulcet tones of Adam Driver, the music of Sparks. It's Annette, an art house film by Leo Carax. Is that who it is, Higgs? Who have never seen anything by Holy yes, Motors, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, his first film, so almost a decade since he made Holy Motors, which is to this day the only uh, movie of his I've seen, but is a movie that I have not rewatched, but had like an incredible lasting impression on me and is one of 
the most memorable cinema going experiences I've ever had. Um, wow. Yeah, I saw I was I was living in Vancouver, I went to the Vancouver International Film Festival Theater, not really knowing what I was going into and you know, it's 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 a movie that kind of goes all over the place. Um there's songs in it. Um yeah, just as like pure spectacle, it was uh incredible. I've never I've never forgot it. Um I kind of don't want to go back to it because I kind of have this like perfect uh, experience of it, but very much looking forward to Annette, um, as you mentioned, or did you mention, Dave, the stars Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, written by the Sparks brothers, uh, Ron and Russell Mail. Um, yeah, I, I don't know a whole lot about it. You played the trailer there. I was kind of almost trying not to pay attention to it. I just kind of heard Adam Driver, Sparks, musical directed by Leos Carax, and I'm like... Cool. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Even when I was cutting the trailer, I was trying to avoid seeing too much of it either. Um, I know it has opened to mixed reviews uh, with the American critics, some of whom have taken a bit of a swing in it, but uh, it does seem to be quite ambitious. It does sound interesting. And even the dashy music we got in that trailer was better than any of the music we got in We Are Your Friends. So I'm confident that it will prove a very arresting experience. But for now, thank you both for providing us the listener and the host with an arresting experience. Norma Howard, Dave Higgins, they are my friends. And that was We Are Your Friends. Good night, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.